Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Nobody Asked For This. I'm your host, Megan. And I'm your other host, Kendra. We're so happy you're here with us, listening along. Something amazing happened on September 28th. What happened, Kendra? We had a launch party for the podcast. For the podcast. It was so good. It was did so... such a good job pulling it all together. Oh, it was thank so you. good. Yeah, it was at Nashville Nutrition Partners. Which, mm-hmm. if you haven't checked out episode one of season two, go back and listen to it with Jen and Ander. They are the co-founders of Nashville Nashville Nutrition Partners. They're excellent and were incredible hosts. Yes, and I feel like it's only appropriate we give Annabeth a shout out. Oh my goodness! Yes. Okay, so Annabeth also works at Nashville Nutrition Partners, and she is the director of first impressions there. Wow, what a gal! Amazing, yeah, what a gal! Got Love it her. together. So helpful, so warm, so excited. Yeah, whole thing. Yeah, we love her. So good. We love all love of her. them. We love everybody who came. We and really who do. Did anything to help us? Yeah, and it's a community effort, and we're so grateful. Yeah, it was super fun to meet people that we had like sent DMs back and forth on Instagram, like. Yeah. It was yeah. really fun. We had we had snacks. So we had our guests' favorite snacks that they had mentioned on their episode from season one. So for example, we had Amy Pratt's quote unquote better at night, popcorn and OJ. Megan's mm-hmm. all cheese is valid cheese cheese board. Kendra's you don't have to be baked to enjoy no bake cookies. Uh, maybe the best one. I like that. Right? One. Maybe the best one? Maybe. Yeah. Uh when nobody gives you lemons, lemonade. <laughs> No, zero cow. Zero. Oh, that was the water. water. Yeah. Zero cow, no sugar, water. It was great. We had some people recording for fun. We had merch for sale. Yeah, we did. We had some people write in their own favorite snacks, fake ads, and secret weapons, which we will be sharing on an episode soon. Yeah, we will. And then. so good. And then. We sang. We did sing. We sang two songs that went really well. (laughs) (laughs) And one that was not great. (laughs) And one that happened. (laughs) Do you want to elaborate? No. Okay. No. Fair enough. If you were there, you know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. No reason to put it out for the whole world to know what happened. But yes. But our fave was our parody. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. We did a parody of Taylor Swift's I did something bad. Our song was called I Ate Something Bad. We're going to release it in some way or another. Look out for it. All, so all in one weekend, we had our launch party. We had Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa's book launch party, which they yes. allowed us to speak at. Ugh. Which was like such a gift. And like, I felt so, I don't know how you felt, but until we got up there, I was like, why are we in this lineup? I'm just <laughs> like... You know what I mean? Like these, the people who went, the people who sang, the people who danced, the people who talked, everyone just felt like, I don't, I don't know. It just felt like, how are we with this crowd? We were intimidated. Yeah. Yeah. But we could not, it could not have gone better. We were received so well. That room was so amazing. It was great. Yeah. 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 So good. So make sure to go get Robin's book, Activist Theology. You have to. What was the other thing that we did? (gasps) And actually, the other thing we did was the catalyst to the whole weekend, 
Yeah. Like it, it came first yep. before the other things <laughs> came to, into play, which was Lizzo at the Ryman. Wow. How you like that? I loved it. I loved your I song mean... just now, and I loved the performance <laughs> that Lizzo gave. I so my comment about it was I uh, not to brag, but I have seen Beyonce two times uh, in concert, and her Lizzo's crowd above and beyond. It did not compare to what I've experienced at other concerts. My ears were buzzing for an hour. Yeah, it was wild I went out at one moment yes I know I took a moment because I wanted to get merch when there was no line and a drink when there was no line (laughs) because I know how to do concerts right and so I literally the bartender was like hi can I help you and I could I did not hear her the first two times that she said that because the crowd was so loud because my ears were ringing from having walked out of the room I mean it was so incredible but just the whole thing was so incredible um, and I will say, I was maybe one of the few who knew every word to every song. True story. True, true story. No glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the oh me used to rock the gym. Yeah, it was so fun. It was really great. Something that's coming up that we want to share with you. We were asked to be a vendor at a local event. It's called the Mind Body Magic Festival, put on by Triluna Wellness. We're so excited about it. These yeah, in Nashville. In Where Nashville. Is it gonna be? It's going to be at One City, which is 8 City Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. It's the area where like Avo and Posteria and all those businesses are. Um, it is a free all-day event taking place on October 26th. There will be live music, drinks, wellness experiences, panels, pumpkin relays, pet costume uh, contest. Contest. thank you. Uh, it's going to be a really great event. It's going to be our first time being a vendor, so we will be learning, and we would love for you to come by and visit. I think it's 11 to 4. We're going to have our pins there. We're going to have our stickers there. We're going to have some new shirts. Yes. They say this is a diet culture takedown. It's amazing. Uh, it's really cool that the this group exists, Triluna. They're doing some great things in Nashville to resist diet culture. Kendra, something big is happening in your life. Tell me about it. <laughs> no, you tell me about it. <gasps> I'm moving, y'all. And no, it's not to Nashville, unfortunately. Um, but it is also still very exciting. I'm moving to Richmond, Virginia. And it's happening very quick. So I accepted a job um just just a hot minute ago and and in the end of this month we'll be out of my house and in Richmond whether my house is sold or not so um yeah it's gonna be I'm very very excited about it um everyone that I've talked to where I live is like you're gonna love Richmond yeah. so I feel very good about it I'm very excited but it's a lot I'm very stressed uh-huh. and I am doing what I need to do to get it done. So Send the good vibes to Kendra yeah. while she's going through this. Please, please. Have it's you sold a, a house before? It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So anyway, um, so and it's also just wanting to finish up well where I am and yeah. tie, up, tie up things. So it's just a lot of stuff happening. But I can do anything for three weeks and it will all it will be over in three weeks whether I'm ready for it to be over or not. So <laughs> that's just... 
That's both comforting and terrifying all at the same time. Oh, thanks, Rand. This interview is gonna be fire. Mm-hmm. We uh-huh. uh-huh. We have Abby Buter, who is a personal growth coach and loves walking alongside others on their own journey towards wholeness. An Enneagram and self-care enthusiast, Abby helps others understand themselves better so they know how to care for themselves well. She seeks to help others understand the importance of self-compassion, soul care, self-awareness, and healing in their own lives. She also loves to travel, and her favorite title is auntie to her seven nieces and nephews. I so enjoyed this conversation with Abby. It was like... Yeah, it just was really good. I I hadn't had a chance to meet Abby until we sat down for the interview, but it felt like we were the same. Kind of like you say a lot. Yeah. (laughs) You're the same. It was... Just had a lot in common. So relatable. I can't wait for people to hear her talk about her spiritual direction experience, Mm -hmm. which kind of led her into a lot of this work. Yeah. It's a really beautiful story. Yeah. Okay. So we hope you enjoy it. We do. And now it's time for Shut the Fuck Up, where we take a deep dive into examples of diet culture within pop culture. Kendra, what do you have for us? So about a month ago, James Corden had a segment on his show where he was responding to a segment on Bill Maher's show. Uh, And the gist of what Bill Maher had to say was, fat shaming should make a comeback. And that's all we're going to say about what Bill Maher had to say. Because nobody should go watch it. Nope. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very insensitively done and um, absolutely triggering. Kendra, would you say nobody asked for that? <laughs> I would say that nobody asked for that. And uh, so James, in his um, mm, feeble attempt to respond, <laughs> um, an educated attempt to respond, happened to also say some problematic things. Uh, And one of the things that really just made my blood boil when I watched it the first time was his constant uh, fat jokes as he was talking about not fat shaming. (laughs) I was like, that seems highly hypocritical. Um, So he said things about a pie being left on a windowsill around a fat person isn't a good idea. And he said something about that fat people love sugar-coated things. Um, and then he had a whole kind of self-deprecating remark about a pint of ice cream that Bill Maher drove him to eat the rest of or something. Right. And it's just like, don't fat shame when you're telling people not to fat shame. Mm-hmm. Like, just don't fat shame. But also, it does, you don't win a lot of credit when you are also fat shaming in the process of telling people not to fat shame. And it's the, the trope of the fat person in our society. Like, if I make fun of myself first, then it's okay. Like, right. It's a def- do you know what I mean? It's a defense mechanism. It's the defense mechanism. And we do it all the time in settings, you know, in group settings around food. Or, I mean, pe- we do it, people do it all the time, fat and non-fat people all the time. And it's just, like, important that we recognize when you are saying jokes like that, even if you're directing them at yourself, when the core, when the core of what you're saying is, a, is related to the fact that you're fat, every other fat person hears that joke about them. Yep, absolutely. <sighs> so sad. But then I will say, 
he did get some things right. And this is where things get tricky because there's things that we can know, but then we mix them with this uneducated position and it kind of, and because it muddies the waters, we're kind of like all in or all out. Right. Yeah. It's something that, um, we can call internalized fat phobia. So that's when you, you have a lived experience of being in a fat body. Um, and maybe in some ways like James, you are trying to push back against fat shaming, but you have internalized feelings about yourself. I'm going to branch out and say anyone who's fat has some internalized fat phobia because it's everywhere. We, we can't help but take it in. Here's an example of it right now. So he does say a number of things right. And Megan, do you want to? Yeah. His very first quote is, I found it so surprising that he or anybody thinks that fat shaming needs to make a comeback because fat shaming never went anywhere. I mean, ask literally any fat person. We are reminded of it all the time. That's true. Yeah, it's very true. It's Mm -hmm. very true. Mm -hmm. Um, It's important for people in thin bodies to do the work to recognize that and to... Mm -hmm to listen um when fat people say no 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 (laughs) i think often it gets um skewed as a oh you're just being sensitive or you know what i mean like (sighs) it's just not true so um because i'm maybe the least sensitive person (laughs) (laughs) well it's like it's not being sensitive when you're literally fighting for your personhood for your humanity to be respected. Yes. That's not being a snowflake. That's not being sensitive. That's saying, let me live. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some of the other things he said that were right was that fat shaming leads to self-destructive behavior. Um, What what he got a bit wrong was he said, like overeating. Um, That's not necessary. That's not necessarily always true, but he kind of alluded that it was. Okay, so something that is true about that, we know that even the thought of restriction or going on a diet can lead to binging. Um, Even if the diet hasn't started, that's why we have this idea of the quote-unquote last supper, where before you you go on a diet, people like have this big meal. Um, So even the thought of it can lead to... And the other thing was, I appreciated his pointing out that fat shaming is just bullying. Mm -hmm. True. Like somehow... We have thought we have this new, this other phrase for fat shaming or for bullying when it has to do with somebody's size. And that just is a real um, statement on our society, if you ask me, about right. the work, how society views pe- fat, fat people. Yep. Um, and then he, then he talked about how there are lots of things that play into the size of a body, like poverty and genetics. And those are very true things. Um, and then he also talked about how healthy food and healthcare need to be more accessible and, uh, there needs to be proper education for people about nutrition. And I'm, I'm like, yes, that's accurate. Um, my guess is my understanding and definition of what that education should look like is different than his. (laughs) Um, I think people, and I, you, I'm sure agree that people need to, have a better understanding of things like health at every size and that bodies do come in all sizes and that's okay. Um, yeah, that's all. I don't have anything else. Yeah. 
so some something else that he talks about is how he he talk, he shares his lived experience which i think is always very powerful he talks about how he has been dieting on and off for his whole life mm-hmm. and how that's been a struggle for him and he says that will always be a struggle for the rest of my life and he's correct you you said this when we were talking before this you were like yeah if he's diet if he's going to continue dieting that's going to continue to be a struggle because diets right. don't work Diets cause your metabolism to slow down. They cause you to wait cycle, which is very harmful on the body. They're not sustainable. They don't work. Right. And towards the beginning, he similarly says that everyone sucks at managing weight. And that's correct because it's not meant to be managed. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is exactly the same thing you're saying about, yeah, if you're going to diet for the rest of your life, yeah, it's going to be a problem for you. It's going to be a struggle. Ugh. So while I'm happy that he is the one and only person from what it looks like in late night that said anything about this horrendous thing that Bill Maher said, um, I hope he will continue to do work and learn and read um, and find his own acceptance of who he is because you could really hear it in his segment that he's really struggling. I mean, he really seems to struggle with his own... um, acceptance of himself you know and I can only imagine that that would be how hard that would be in Hollywood on like just on top of everything else yeah another thing that I want to point out is that Kendra and I just both have dogs (laughs) and they're both very upset by diet culture and sometimes they want to chime in yeah our sweet pups our sweet pups hopefully she's not too loud um but it's just the way our day is that she has to be in this room so here we are (laughs) All right, so to, how do we say shut the fuck up to James Corden now? To, okay, that's His problematic statements? Yes. Okay, so to the problematic statements that James Corden make in his attempt at saying good things about, against what Bill Maher had to say, we say, shut Shut the the fuck fuck up. up. This episode has been brought to you by Beth Ditto's Wardrobe. Menus that don't list calories. Those times when I make eye contact with my dog when I'm peeing, because apparently that is not my alone time. And our favorite Lizzo song, Worship. One, two. Patiently, quietly, faithfully, worship me. Abby Buter, we're so happy to be here with you. I'm so happy to be here. We met. How we meet? We met at Imaginarium, which is a spiritual community here in Nashville. I feel like we were like instant friends. I don't know it if you felt that fa- way. No, I felt that way too. But I felt that way. <laughs> I was kind of, I was kind of iffy at part. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it was definitely like, oh, I know you. I oh, see we went you. on a retreat together. That's right. Tell us what you do. I am a personal growth coach, which is kind of like life coaching. And I focus on um, helping people with self-care and teach around with the tool, the Enneagram, which is a personality typing tool. And I like to help people understand themselves better so they know how to care for themselves well. 
Mm. So that's what, so I do one-on-one coaching and workshops and host retreats and fun things like that. Cool. Yes. So we will plug all your things at the end of the Great. interview. I want to start by asking you about your body timeline. Yes. So what were your thoughts and beliefs and feelings about your body and about food and about movement? Yes. So many thoughts and feelings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But it's interesting because when I was, like, young in, like, elementary-ish school, I had, like, I was, like, had really no awareness that I was, I don't want to say different, but that I, like, I was always the tallest person in my class mm-hmm. and, like, but I also loved playing sports and I was pretty good at them. So I, like, never really noticed a difference in some ways between sure my body and other people's as you know as much it wasn't super pronounced but then in later elementary I remember going to a restaurant which this is just crazy that this existed but a restaurant that weighed kids like when you went with your family you stepped on the scale and they weighed you and wrote your weight down on a piece like a card and then that's how much money you got off your meal (laughs) which is so ridiculous you can't even like there was also clowns there. So what? Clowns? <laughs> like a clown? This sounds more like a dream you I had. Than an, well, I, I believe had, you. No, I had to ask myself. I'm like, was this real? Did this really? <laughs> Why were there clowns? I don't know. I mean, I think it was just like entertainment. Like, bring the kids. Like, I just remember balloons and a clown. Yeah. And wow. so I remember them writing my weight down and not thinking anything of it. And then my friend got on the scale and they wrote her weight down, and I noticed mine was a lot higher than hers and then the dad of the family said like well it's a good thing we brought Abby with us tonight and because it's like that's how much money you got off your meal so that's one of my like earliest memories and I also remember in elementary school like you know those little dubby cakes you yeah, yeah which yeah. are so good and so this has came up like recently when I think back on my bad time like not really like realizing that we only could eat one of those like my and my mom would pack in our lunch or like it was just kind of the house rule like eat one of them mm-hmm. but then at school I'd see like my friends have two or and I really they come, in. they come in two yeah they come in the pack of two so you would just like put one in a ziploc and keep the other one but then like I remember going home and like and literally like sneaking in the bathroom and like eating two and like hiding the trash and so that's like one of my earliest memories around like any kind of the, I, like relationship with like food you know and yeah. thinking like there's not enough like that scarcity mindset mm. of like I'm not allowed to have two for some reason someone else is telling me like this isn't okay but this is what I want so I need to like be sneaky about it and feel all the shame yeah. about and yeah. like no one can find out this yeah. I do this you know I think that's really interesting to think about for parents yeah because if you enforce so many rules around food then that'll probably encourage well one it, it is disordered eating right but it'll encourage this these like secretive behaviors mm-hmm. and a scarcity mentality right I definitely did that when I was in like middle school elementary I'd come home from school before like anyone else was home in my house I'd be home for about an, an hour and I'd be like the kitchen is mine right like, there's right. like I can eat whatever I want out of the kitchen because nobody's here now half the time it would be like five Oreos, and so it would be pretty clear the next person. I mean, you know, it's just like right. a chunk. Yeah, so there's five Oreos missing, so it wasn't like too too secret. Right. Um, you know, and comments about it. You know, would would there be comments later? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And, um, but yeah, I, same thing was like, or if I wanted to snack at night, wanted to yeah. bed, like sneaking quickly to get a couple, whatever it was. Yeah. And like running out to my room, hoping nobody saw me do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yep. Because the belief is, uh, we don't deserve this. Because I wasn't allowed to. Yeah. I mean, or in my just mind, simply that's what that. it was. Yeah. It was just like, you're not supposed to, yeah. you shouldn't be doing yeah. that. Yeah. And I think assigning, like, this is bad. Like little dubbies aren't good for you. So you and should you're only using have quotes. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're not good for you. This is a bad food. So you should have limited amounts of it or same with like, we were, could only have ice cream on like Tuesday and Friday nights, which is like a fun, like we like had certain shows we watched and it was ice cream, but it was another kind of realizing now, Oh, to me, ice cream was kind of put in this, bad category of like you only can eat it a certain amount so therefore if you eat it more that you're bad it's bad it's not good for you yeah that whereas like my I have a friend who's their family's like we ate ice cream like almost every night there was no like restriction around it so they didn't have this kind of urge in some ways like I did to want to eat it more because there wasn't enough of it because Mm -hmm. they had right availability abundance of it whenever they wanted Restriction leads to binging. Yes. Well, and it's also, you know, teaching orthorexic behaviors. Mm -hmm. So young, this food is good, this food is bad. Um, To a point where you've learned it, you've internalized it so young, it can be, it's just that much more difficult to get out of that mindset, to unlearn that behavior. Yeah. Yeah. What were your beliefs about your body? In middle school is when I really started recognizing that my body was different than other people's. Part of that is overhearing mean comments about mm-hmm. my body from other people. Um, and also, I played sports and I love sports, but I started in middle school realizing, like, oh, I'm kind of slower. Like, I'm not fast. Or my face gets really red when I, which now I'm like, of course your face gets red. And you breathe hard when you're <laughs> exercising. <laughs> but in middle school, I was like, yeah. And, and then seeing, like, just I... I'm in a bigger body than my friends and we love, they love going to shop at the mall and I don't like that because I can't fit into all those clothes. And so in middle school is when I felt like I started, I, I don't know that I even would say like I had a hatred now I'm realizing that's partly what that was, but like I had like this disassociation, Mm. like I almost feel like I literally could see myself floating away. Like my Mm. mind and soul and heart just like, disconnecting from my body and being like everything about you is great except for that so like you're gonna be great despite your body you're gonna like that's your great shame like that is what it's always been in my head like this is your great shame that you need to hide that's too big it's too tall it's too like too much and so and it's people don't like that like it makes them uncomfortable it's not how you're supposed to be so lots of feelings of just like Ugh, if you if it wasn't for you <laughs> Like, I'd like, if it wasn't for you, everything would be fine. Like, that mm. was very much my feelings towards yeah. my body. Um, I resonate with that because for a long time, I did a lot of work on, like, my my mental health, my emotional yes. health, my spiritual health. Um, but I just was disconnected from my body. Yep. And so, and I, I see all that inner, it's all interconnected, it's all interwoven. Um, and so... And for me, I, I used to see it. I kind of still see it this way, but maybe I understand the body piece differently than I used to. But um, that those those three areas had kind of gone as far as they were going to go until this guy exactly. caught up or, you know, until the body piece caught up. 
Um, and that, for me, that's really what pushed me into more work with the, with the, to can actually connect those things to yes. the body right? yep. um, and listening to the body. So similar yeah, like idea. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. What institutions do you think reinforced those ideas? Or where did you get those messages other than the comments of friends and the rules around food at home? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, meat, like the media, obviously, yeah. and even <laughs> Christian media specifically in the cult, the context I grew up in. And Megan, I know we both, I think, read the same article in we Brio did. Magazine. Oh, man. Ugh. Um, Brio Magazine was a magazine for teen girls that was put out by Focus on the Family, mm-hmm. which now I'm like... focus on the family it's like the most problematic of things that's another podcast but yeah i'm sure there are podcasts about how problematic (laughs) yes probably probably i'm sure they exist yeah i knew about brio magazine and like my friends read it but i was a public school kid and my friends my church friends who are predominantly my closest Mm -hmm. friends at the time were um homeschooled or went to small so that was like the or went to small Christian schools. So that was like the only magazine they mm. could read. And I could oh, like read Teen Bop yeah. and whatever. So right, right. I was like less concerned. I was like, Brio, whatever. I was like less concerned with Brio. Yeah. yeah. I can read Brio or I can look at the crushes. JTT. Yeah. 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 Like there's, I think it was like, was it called J14? This magazine that was like a, it's like a teen people kind of like, it was oh, like oh, a, cool. yeah, yeah, so yeah. I had my Brio and then my J14 teen people. But it's interesting when you look at some of the messages, it wasn't that different. One might be more coded with like, that's right. but the images, like everything was the same. And this article, I, th- I think it's where the idea came from of like, it was saying you're supposed to weigh a certain amount for how tall you are. So me also always, I'm going 5'11". I've always been the tallest, you know, girl in my class or whatever. And, thinking, okay, then this is how much I'm supposed to weigh. Like, there's yeah. a formula. And right. so my whole life, I've just thought, well, I'm just, like, I'm, this is wrong. How I am is wrong because I'm not fitting in this, which in a lot of ways is just not, like, now I know this is not realistic or feasible at all. Well, and it's like the, like any of those kind of, um, quizzes and any of those right. it's like they're just written by some person yeah. sitting at it. it's not like there was any kind yeah. of scientific background or well, anything sat- behind I, it you know again right. this was you know what like 20 yeah <laughs> oh gosh 15 <laughs> 20 years ago i really think that article was written by a doctor i really think it was one of those like guests yeah and my friend who is a doctor i asked her about this and she said it's actually a similar form like that's not yeah, she wasn't surprised. Like, that is a formula that they use in medical. If weight was based on height, then, like, everyone who was 5'6 would all weigh the same. Right. And everyone who was 6 feet would all weigh the right. same. So then when I see and girls... And when the same bone structure. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's ancestral. Because <laughs> yeah. we're all supposed to look the same. So, yeah. is it, so it's rooted in BMI, maybe? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, dumb, dumb yeah, I held on to that for years, Abby. Oh. I don't even know how long that sat in my brain. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Because that I know that number. I still mm-hmm. have it in oh, there. Oh, me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the biggest, I mean, it's kind of a given of like media and, you know, all that with the sure. institutions. But I think that was, and I, I mean, I would say capitalism. Part of this is going to like stores and capitalism or, you know, and how even the sizing of clothes and all of that. And I mean, 
bigger sizes have come a long way over the years, like a long, long way. But just knowing growing up too, I was like thinking all these clothes that are bigger sizes are usually not as cute. They, I can't always find, especially when I got into like high school and stuff, like I can't find these, the things I want to wear in the size that is comfortable for me. And so just so much like shame around that. And I was in a store once walking, that was like a Meyer. if you guys, if anyone's from mm-hmm. the Midwest, or the it's like a Walmart, kind of, but better is what I always describe <laughs> it as. But, you know, they have all different sizes. But I was walking through the store with friends, and we walked past the plus size section, you know, they have those like huge signs. And my friend was like, said something like, ugh, can you even imagine wearing that big of size clothes? And I just wanted to like melt into the floor because I just couldn't, I was so ashamed, like so ashamed. And then I started cutting the tags out of all my clothes all the time because I was like, I don't want to be at a sleepover and someone see my shirt that says XL on it, like God forbid, you know. And so there's just a lot of that. So I think the store, like the, I don't know what institution that is. So that's (laughs) such an important um, thing for people to keep in mind. We say this all the time. It's like, you just have no idea what someone's going through. You know, you have to consider, you should consider what the people are hearing around you who maybe aren't in thin bodies. And um, yeah, just, ugh, you know? Absolutely. Yep. So what has your, we've talked a lot about BMI and like how it's completely uncalled for, like totally not of yeah. the health profession world. And being used in and a way it was never intended. Yes. It was, you know, anyway. So I'm wondering your experience with BMI or if that has played, that kind of came into play in any kind of institution for you. Yeah. Uh, in my ninth grade gym class, we, I had a lot of, I started having a lot of anxiety around gym class so much so that I literally played a varsity sport so I could get out of gym class in high school. Cause if you played two years of a varsity sport, then you got out of your second like required gym class because my ninth grade gym class, one thing, like when we started, you had to like run a mile and see how long it took you and do pushups and all that kind of stuff. And you had a partner and you, then you, they measured our BMI they used to do it with the literal like instrument where that they would pinch you, and then this was like you held a a thing that somehow I don't know you held this thing and it told you, and so I was just again so because I had a partner it wasn't like something done in private that you just could know for yourself you know it was like on a card with your partner, just and yeah and then your height and weight and your BMI and and percent of body fat and like so I knew all these things. And it was just like, then my partner was someone who was very much smaller than I am and, or than I was. And so it just, it was terrible. It just, again, like cemented in my mind of like, oh, this is, your body is bad. Like Mm -hmm. it is not where it's supposed to be. You know, this is, and then you have the gym teacher up there saying, this is the right range. And this is like the healthy range. This is the unhealthy overweight obese or whatever I don't remember how she said it but it was just terrible yeah we do comparison enough I know without any help right especially in like middle and high school it's like I it's like amazing to me how often gym class you know school should be a safe environment they should be working to make it safer and so often the gym class which should be like fun right. and like play and all this yeah. stuff is like blah, 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 about things. When I think about even like me and my story, like I 
love playing sports. And I loved playing sports. Yeah. And then I get into this environment, like you said, that I, I didn't feel safe, that I felt very uncomfortable in. And like, it's like, well, I'm not, I don't like playing sports anymore because I'm noticing I'm different. I'm, you know, slower or like to me that meant I wasn't good at things. So I just quit playing every single sport and quit thinking that movement or of any kind was fun. It was just a way to, supposed to get me down to this range that's healthy, you know? So it took all, all of that away. I've never hearing you say, how did you put it? Jim was a, you have a lot of shame around it Mm -hmm. or it was like, it wasn't safe. It wasn't safe until like, I knew I didn't like Jim, but until you said it just that way, I was like, Oh, same. Yes. Oh, very much the same. Yeah, I was insane. I, w- yeah. I felt nervous every time it was time for PE, mm-hmm. which is what we called it. I hated when we would run because I knew I was the second to last slowest. I hated that my face got so red. I hated that I breathed so hard. Yep. All signs of being alive and well. Exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, you mean because you were moving and breathing? Oh, I was breathing to be alive. Right. Um, Not to mention having to change in the room. Oh, oh that's, that's, that's a whole other story. Yeah, that's a whole but it's other. part of that whole oh, idea. Yeah. So like, I'm thinking all of us in this room had that experience. This has to be so common. Yeah. yeah, and not even, and not just for. I mean, we've talked about how diet culture touches everybody. Yeah. So not just for fat bodies yeah. in the world, for any middle school person, right? You know, dealing with the things of middle school or puberty. You know, puberty to have to go through that. It's like people joke like it's this rite of passage. Like, oh, it's a rite of passage. Everybody has to do it. It's like, no. We don't need yeah. rites of passage that are trauma that it will now live in our right. DNA. That's right. right. Or That's bring right. about any type of shame. Like, rites of passage should be about celebrating, like, where you are and where yes. you're, you know, not... Right. Any, yeah. yeah. Not, like, hard, shame-filled. Right. Um, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So... Okay, so the institutions we've covered so far. <laughs> the, the school. Yes. Um, the home, in a lot of ways. the Our friends and the media. Uh, I'm wondering about kind of medical institutions, if you've ever had any experiences there, if you're willing to share or talk about. Yeah, one of my experiences in college, I was sick and went to the college doctor uh, because, and I basically told him, I think I have bronchitis. I can't, literally can't walk from my dorm room to the cafeteria without being out of breath, which it's like a flat, like I, this shouldn't be hard. <laughs> I can't do it. And so he was like, okay, get off the table and do 10 knee bends. And so I, this is so bizarre. It was, and so I was like, okay, you know, I'm a rule follower. So I got that. Yeah. I, did, I did the knee bends and then he took my pulse and he said, you're just out of shape and overweight. You're out of shape and overweight and you need to exercise more. And I was like, or I have bronchitis and I can't breathe. <laughs> and aren't there tests they can do to yeah. tell whether you have bronchitis? Just like basic listening like to your sw- lungs. Like, yeah. Or swabbing. I mean, I don't, like, like they strep. do a strap and stuff. I don't know because you didn't do anything except make me do knee bends. And then I said, and I was, again, I had like, I don't know if, if you guys can relate to this, but you know, there's these certain moments where you just like, like I can still feel the reaction in my body. Like my face got red. I felt so embarrassed and I just wanted to like melt into the floor. And, and I had been, that's another thing about the health at every size of like, I had been exercising, but then I got sick and I couldn't breathe. So I stopped, you know? And so it's like, I have been doing, like I am doing these things. And so then he's like, but I'll still prescribe you antibiotic. And then he did. And then it went away. 
And so that was, and not even until like literally in the last year, probably did I like remember that story and think like, oh, he would never have said that to someone in a smaller body. It wouldn't have even been like a, you know, thought thought in his mind. So let's transition over into some of like your work. You do personal growth coaching. You use the Enneagram. We talk, we we might have to have like a whole thing at some point on the Enneagram because it comes up so often. I don't don't want people to be excluded from the conversation. But um, so talk to, talk to us about kind of how you came into that work and what led you to that vocational call, that, that career. Yeah. So I feel like I, I've gotten to this place because I was really bad at all the things now I'm trying <laughs> trying to teach people how to do. Um, but I I started I used to work in the nonprofit sector and learned very quickly after college that I had no boundaries. I was codependent and I burn out really fast. And so I'm a two on the Enneagram. Um, do you want me to give a quick like Enneagram that. synopsis Please for do. people yeah. listening. Since if you I, don't since know, we're probably going to talk a little bit more about yeah. it. Yeah. So the Enneagram is a personality typing tool. It's also known as a wisdom tradition because its roots are found like over 2,000 years ago in different uh, religions um, and throughout history. But it's uh, basically the basic premise of the Enneagram is talking about why we do what we do. And it's based on our motivations rather than our behavior and says that there's nine unique lenses through which we view the world. And so there's kind of nine lenses or worldviews that we fall into that ex- kind of explains why we do what we do, what our motivations are, what our core fears are, and the core desires that we're running towards. And so everyone has a dominant type within those nine. And it gives you a lot of understanding about yourself. It helps us increase our compassion for ourselves and for other people and help us understand um, that better. So I have found that tool to be really helpful. It's very transformative for me in my life of understanding myself and how why I do what I do and that not everyone does use the world the way I do it's yeah. so powerful in relationships uh but that's a quick like super quick yeah. uh, intro to the Enneagram <laughs> Enneagram <laughs> I always say it's a dynamic system so it doesn't like leave you where it found you right so you've like and so people will come to me as a coach and say, I don't know my Enneagram type. I just want you to tell me. And so I'm like, well, then you need to find a different coach because I don't do that. Yeah. You know, but I can ask good questions and help you understand. But it's work, like, because it reveals the parts of yourself sometimes, too, that you don't want to see. That's right. But that is, it's the work. Um, it's such good inner work that it kind of calls you into. And when understood well, mm-hmm. when you understand it well, it, it is not a crutch that you lean on. No. Um. So, yeah. I would say don't use it as a sword or a shield. Yeah. Like, don't use it to, like, oh, I'm good. just a two. I can't do that. Or, like, oh, you're such a seven. I can't, you know. So right. don't use it as a sword or a shield. That's good. Anyway, so that's the Enneagram. But that's uh, – so I decided wanting to do personal growth coaching because, you know, through my experience in the nonprofit sector, which I thought I'd be in forever, I realized that, okay, I really – care about this good work that people are doing but I want to help them do it better and take care of themselves while they're doing it so in grad school I did my thesis on creating cultures of self-care at faith-based nonprofits and so what does it look like to create workplaces that actually care and value their employees and acknowledge that we bring our whole self to work and through that research and my thesis realizing that we have like an individual piece of our self-care where we're very much responsible for how we care for ourselves and boundary setting and uh, showing compassion and love and, so, and to ourselves. But then also when you're in a context and environment, there's a collective 
self-care that also needs to happen in those spaces. And so that was really interesting to, to study. And so that studying made me realize that I wanted to help people in the individual level know themselves and care for themselves well and also care for the world well because I feel like we so that's where a lot of the more like social justice and I mean caring for anyone (laughs) you know like we can't I don't think we can be fully like whole healed people if the world is not and so we need to really focus yeah Yeah. we're all connected also you worked with a spiritual director yes I've also worked with a spiritual director um um Kendra so you just mentioned spiritual direction and I've never done that. So I just want one of you to sort of explain what that is to me. Yeah, I know some spiritual directors I know call themselves like a, a spiritual friend or like, you know, someone who rather were therapy in a little bit a ways is can be more like solution focused or you're trying to get somewhere or deal with something. Yeah. Uh, spiritual direction, they're really almost a, compa- a companion, like they're companioning you through whatever you're experiencing so they do ask a lot I mean, my spiritual director asks a lot of questions uh we do lots of she also mine in particular does like reiki work so mm-hmm. there's other things that they can do with it like different yeah. energy work and and different things like that art more art things so it can look a lot of different ways for different people yeah and it can give you like um to help to give you tools and different ex- like meditative experiences okay. and yeah. different kind of led experiences in that regard thank you i feel like i have a better understanding now um and i'm wondering if you have any experiences in in your work with a spiritual director that you that kind of helped you connect to your body or even just the work you're doing with other people in general yeah i had probably one of my most profound experiences in spiritual direction which is what kind of started me on this oh i should you know pay attention to this body of mine so i I think this came from a place of me just kind of saying, I just feel like disconnected, like in general, that's kind of where we started, (laughs) you know, it's like, I don't know, I don't know what I need to do, but I just feel disconnected. And so we went into like a place of quiet and just the, I had a very clear kind of vision that came to mind of seeing at the time, it looked like a thing in the middle of, or in the corner of a room, like chained to the the wall of the room and it was dirty and gross and like pathetic looking and and so I went up to it and um so my spiritual director is like well ask it questions like what is this thing and as soon as I was gonna ask it's like I knew and it was like this is my body like this is my body and I it's just like I had this flood of memories from middle school of remembering this very like it's like I was like looking through a foggy mirror at this experience in middle school of almost feeling myself disconnect from my body and become so disconnected and just shoved it in a corner of like, you say over here, you are shameful. You get to be <laughs> chained to a wall and never come out. And I'm just going to ignore you for the next, I don't know, 15 years or however, you know, right. maybe more than that, but yeah. at this point. And so I just felt, and I like my first thought was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry that this, is what is happening to you and that was where I really felt more where I recognized that disconnection and also where me with my spiritual director we really explored this idea of inner hospitality and what you know as a two on the Enneagram I'm very into hospitality and making sure people feel comfortable and wanting them to be welcome wherever they are 
But what would that look like to extend that same um, intention into ourselves? And so if you think, I think of like a big like banquet table and internally, what does that look like to extend that to all of the different parts of ourselves and welcome them to the table? So that's where it started was with this really pathetic looking thing that I, you know, had chained to the wall as this body of mine that was so, I didn't want anything to do with it. And then like, let like helping her up and bringing her to the table and saying like you are welcome here like you are a part of me and I want you to be here and welcome and so at this inner table that I do a lot of work with myself of thinking about what are the parts of myself that I want to, I, I need to acknowledge and show that hospitality to to say like you know the the not so great parts you know the light and the shadow and the um all the different parts and I think our bodies are something that when I work with some of my clients, we do, I do an exercise like this with them too. And some people, especially when it comes to our bodies, like they're not able to do that yet. They're not at a place where they can say, I don't like, I would welcome my body to the table. Like I would welcome them here. And so it's like, what about in this room? Would you welcome them in the room? And it's like, no. So it's like, okay, that's okay. You know, you are where you are. And so it's okay. That's what will, and having a lot of compassion for where people are. Um, So that has been a really powerful experience I had in spiritual direction where it started and then have, has really become a kind of like a very strong image. So I know that you are gluten-free and dairy-free. Tell me a little bit about that and tell me uh, what it's like to sort of be going through intuitive eating with that. Oh, man. So I've been dairy-free for probably like seven or eight years. So that's been, I've handled, you know, not, I don't want to say handled it, but like that's not necessarily new. But I've been gluten-free. I realized I had not great gluten tolerance and I cut gluten out like in September and I felt like a new person and it's crazy. Um, but in some ways I feel like it's made a veer of my intuitive eating journey of like, and so I work with Ander and Nashville nutrition partners, Yeah. but doing that nutritional therapy with her has literally changed my life. But I started realizing with these, uh, gluten and dairy, intolerances and not being able to eat those I had a lot of food anxiety um, but in a different way of not than I had before around like scarcity and um, eating foods that we assign bad or good to and all of that and so navigating intuitive eating with gluten and dairy stuff has made me realize that I have to because I tend to minimize my needs and minimize my, like, I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. I don't want to put anyone out. So if someone makes me food, for example, that I can't eat, I like I've eaten things before that make me sick because I feel like I feel so bad. So learning to like advocate for myself yeah. has been a big part of that. And that's where recognizing like, oh, you're the authority in your, in your life that knows yeah. you can't eat these things because it literally makes you sick. And for a long time, you know, you can't eat these. And so you need to advocate for yourself and pay attention to what you need and and voicing those things without feeling shame. I realized for a long time, this is partly my two-ness coming out of the Enneagram, but I always want to make people comfortable and feel okay. And so by me accepting my body and who I am, not everyone is comfortable with that and makes some people uncomfortable. So I've not wanted to be okay with that 
Does that make sense? Yes. And so I recognize that, okay, well, if I'm okay with who I am and what I look like and what my body is and like fully accepting, like I, that's going to make other people uncomfortable. I don't want to make other people uncomfortable. So then I need to be dissatisfied with how I am because that more people are comfortable around other people being miserable. Ooh, is so, yeah. That is true. You know, yeah. but they are. It's like, yeah, it's and, used as a bonding tool. Too. Right. It's right. Triangulation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know that that was kind of a tangent to the gluten and dairy stuff. It was such a good tangent. Yeah. So it's all, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but it all in some ways is connected of recognizing that like I'm the authority in my life. And like I, if I need to say something about not having gluten or dairy food, or if I just need to be confident and comfortable in my body, like that is what I need to do because that is what is best for me. Right. And makes me live a more whole, like a whole life and fully living Mm -hmm. regardless if someone, if it makes someone else uncomfortable, like that's their work to do. So I was asking like, what's my work to do? What's their work to do? I relate so hard to that. My goodness. But I think so many people are going to relate to your story and what you've shared. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Thanks. If somebody would like to work with you one-on-one, how can they find you? Yes. All of my, my website is abbybuter.com. Buter is spelled B-U-T-E-R. Like butter minus the T. Uh, And then that's all my social media too. Abby Buter. I'm the one and only as far as I know in the world. So (laughs) easy to find. (laughs) The best, at least. The best, right? yeah, the best. <laughs> we'll, we'll link all that in the show notes, too, so you can yeah. just scroll down and click away. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so thank much, Thank you Abby. so much, Yeah, Abby. thanks for having me. I've been on a few podcasts, but this is the one I've been most excited ever oh, to be on. So you know what I, that means to us. I know. I just love it. I've been wow. so excited. So I'm honored to be here. Thanks. <laughs> Let's talk about snacks, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the sweet things and the salty that we eat. Let's talk about snacks. Okay, here we are. We're talking about snacks because food is good. And we like to normalize eating. I think we're talking about dips. Dips are a good. They're so good. I love a... A guac. Yep. A salsa. I'm calling these dips. Do you call salsa dip? Salsa is more of a... I do. I think of it as a dip. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I like a seven layer bean dip. Oh. (gasps) That's like... That's like the mountaintop of dips. (laughs) Yeah. That's your... That's your... Like the highest dip in your mind. Do you know what I recently discovered? What? At my grocery store. Um... They have a, I got a, a Kroger. I'm a Kroger lady. I'm a Kroger shopper. <laughs> and um, they have um, a great like cheese area, you know, they do. at Murray's or whatever, which is great. I recently discovered that they take some of that incredible cheese and they make cheese dips oh. and they're in like an end cap of one of the, you know, over in that area and like the, the meat, dairy, all dairy. No, the meat, the desserts, that kind of thing. Yeah. The baked good area. Yeah. <gasps> like what kind of it's cheese? It's like dip? Gouda. Oh. Cheese dip. It's oh. like unreal. And it's like good thick chunks of the cheese. So it's not like super pureed or anything. Oh, 
But I discovered it because somebody brought um, like a cheese plate that pre-made and it was in the center. And I was like, what oh. is that? And I tried it and I went, oh, does anybody want to take that home? Because I'm going to take that home. <laughs> and then I buy it now at the store. It's so good, so good. I've only really had the Gouda one, but they make it out of a bunch of like brie, a bunch of their other, maybe not brie, a bunch of their other like cheeses. So, so good. I'm not a massive fan of a ranch dip, but I do like ranch. I Onion love- dip. <laughs> I, sh- I should always know to wait longer. <laughs> wait, yeah. there's more. Yeah, onion, onion dip. dip. <laughs> like so French onion, like on a potato chip. Yes. Or what's that other one that, um, what's that other dip? <laughs> Have you had buffalo chicken dip? <gasps> yes. Oh. How do you make that dairy-free? Well, I'll say I love that in my pre-having to eat dairy-free days, but they, my cousin made it recently with, I guess it's like some kind of vegan cream cheese and star fruit even instead of, so they're vegan. And so it's star fruit as like the chicken. And it was maybe partly because I haven't had it in so long. (laughs) So I, since I can't eat dairy gluten, I always have to like warn people like, Uh Just know that this may not taste as good as I think it does, but it was good. I mean, it to me, it tasted, you know, not as creamy as like if you had real cream yeah, cheese right, and sure. all that, but a good sub. Is it was a good sub. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what's a great dairy-free dip? Please tell me. Dairy-free dip. Um, and we're not saying dairy-free for like any restriction purposes. It's because some people have to be dairy-free and yeah. that is also intuitive eating. Um... Okay, I made this dip that was like you make it from cashews mm. and chipotle. You get you use like a little bit of the chipotle and then some of the adobo sauce. And was there another ingredient in it? Maybe like spices. Oh, that's so good. My really roommate good. made me because she's wonderful. Made me a dairy free like queso. Mm. <laughs> so it has like and it's made out of like potatoes and carrots and arrowroot powder and then nutritional wow. yeast and then like yeah. sausage in there Yummy. it was like the best day when she's like i have a surprise for you oh, it's so good it's so, so sweet. good you have yeah. a sweet roommate i do she's been very helpful in accommodating my food allergies so she's more accommodating of it and like grace felt about it than i am <laughs> so she helps oh. me <laughs> so your very favorite snack abby Okay, my very favorite snack. I've been very excited to discuss this with you all because I love this segment on your podcast. <laughs> and this started because I saw it on a Pinterest picture and I okay. started making it in grad when I was in grad school and I was working full time in grad school so I'd be doing work at like 2 a.m. Mm. And I would cut up apples mm-hmm. and then put peanut butter on top of them and chocolate chips and then put it in the microwave for like a minute, minute 15 seconds. That's longer than I would have thought. I know you gotta get it like so they get a little like the water comes out and yeah. it's all melty. It is so good. I, I wish still... you could see Kendra's face. <laughs> I cannot wait to try. She that. looks shocked. And those are excited. three of my favorite things. Oh, they're so good. We it's also so good. have dark chocolate chips because That's I want to I've get used. a lower dairy. Okay. Yep. Uh, good. I can't decide to try that later. It's so good. What'd you say? I can't decide. Yeah. You said I wait, can't decide to try I that can't, I, Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's getting there. I can't wait to try that later. Mm. I'm excited about it. I hope yeah. you guys enjoy it. We will. It's so good. Oh, yeah. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about snacks. snacks. 
And this episode's inductees to the Fat Friendly Hall of Fame are Nicole Byer, the always yummy Matt McGorry, and our guest Abby Buter. These are the people we've been waiting for. We are the people we've been waiting for. We've made it to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for sticking with us. We appreciate you, audience. In fact, we appreciate you so much. We want to give a shout out. Yes, we talk all the time about how reviews and ratings matter. And so we want to give a shout out to The Law 808 for their wonderful review where they said, this podcast is giving me insight into the ways diet culture has deeply harmed my own life and the lives of those around me who I love and adore. What I admire most is that these two smart humans analysis includes constant discussion of intersectional oppressions. They make me think deeply and then laugh really hard. That's a win-win. Listen, thank you for that five-star rating and that wonderful review, The Law 808. Ratings and reviews are things that help us gain listenership. So thank you so much for doing that. Love y'all. Bye. Bye.